This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. And welcome back to the great episode of the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I'm your co-host, Justin Zero. Coming to you from the PTBN studios on this Monday. Scott, how are you? Hello, JR. What's shaking? Hello, PTB Wrestling Network. Welcome to episode 609 of the longest-running episode of the fucking gold standard. Uh, we are deep in the throes of August. It is warm. It is sizzling. Uh, but here we are. Another summer here in New England, and uh, back with you, sir. How is everything? All is well? Yeah, everything's going well. It's uh, good to be in the groove here in this 2008 yes. stretch. Been, uh, yes. been some exciting shows, some good shows. We've been on a run of really just solid. It's uh, It's been surprisingly fun, honestly, all of it. 07 and 08 have been, I would say, strongly mm-hmm. good to uh, borderline great. I, I think we've, the one thing we've yep. lacked is maybe like a couple of all-time shows. Like, we haven't hit those yet, but... We'll right. see if any are popping, and, and maybe we'll get to one tonight. We'll see. Uh, but I can promise you this. We have an all-time guest on, uh, for sure. Yeah, this we do. Maiden Voyage, 608 episodes in, but he's been around forever. He's been on uh, shows such as Tag Team Back Again in the past, uh, one of my favorite shows in the old days. And, of course, he yes. uh, now co-hosts Pro Wrestling Love as well. That pops up every now and then. He is a uh, 80s hair metal rocker extraordinaire. He loves the soap operas as well. Uh, he's a gentleman I spent uh, more time with this year than any year past, and that's been a good thing for me. And that is Mr. Marty Salis. Marty, how are you? I am so excited to finally be on the mothership. And it's funny you bring up the hair metal because I saw Motley Crue, Poison, and Def Leppard uh, two nights ago, and they were fucking awesome. So very good. Glad you joined it. You meant to ask. I've heard that's been a pretty good. Uh, I've heard that's been a pretty good tour, Marty, uh, going all across our area. I know a few people that saw it at uh, was it uh, was it MetLife? No, maybe I'm not sure. It was some outdoor venue down in our, down in this neck of the woods, and uh, they're all killing it. So yeah, lots like of energy. It was a really good vibe. I'm a big Molly Crew fan. It was nice to see Tommy Lee back there banging on the drums. So it was a good time. Mm. Yes, I concur. Well, we'll have you banging on the drums here tonight, too, Marty. Um, 
for those of you that aren't privy to the Marty chats uh, out there, <laughs> yes, uh, my favorite are the Marty binges. It's with Warzone and with PTB. I get my, uh, I get you know, 50, 60 messages in a row of all the critiques yes. of the pods and the grades, and it makes my day. Um, I, I, to- I told them when we, we had a, a lunch before uh, Backlash in Providence. I said, look, if I don't respond, I just don't think I'm not reading them. It's, it's a lot to take in and process, you know. Well, now you're forced to respond because I'm going to be talking at you. <laughs> yes. No. Wouldn't have any other way. Uh, but no, this has been a long time coming, Marty. We're excited to have you here for sure uh, to talk some Meta Champions. But before we do that, we are going to head back in time to 1994 to hit some vintage wrestling. And Scott Criscoll is going to tell us what was going on in the house show circuit this week in 1994. All right. Well, uh, two weeks ago, JR, in our last episode, we were at the beginning of June. Uh, now we will go to the end of June. But for the second straight show... We do not have any WCW uh, action. WCW did not uh, wrestle on this evening, June 29th, uh, 1994. WWF, however, had two shows going on in two very different uh, places. Well, not actually, it depends. Uh, not that far away, I suppose. Only a few, couple thousand miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, one uh, loop was in Bakersfield, California. Uh, no venue here, but they were in Bakersfield. Uh, here's your card. Uh, Nikolai Volkov defeated Virgil, and that's it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> that'll be a tremendous opener for you, Marty. Uh, Sparky Plug defeated Luis Spicoli. Smoking Guns defeated Tom Pritchard and the Barbarian, who was subbing for Jimmy Del Rey. How about that for a tag team? Dr. Tom and the Barbarian. It sounds like a lineup on the old Kevin Kelly show. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Tom for the fifth time, followed by the Barbarian. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, Duke Drosy defeated Adam Bomb. I don't know, my mighty have fallen. Uh, Mabel defeated Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, IRS defeated Tatanka via disqualification. And in the main event, uh, Razor Ramon defeated our intercontinental champion, Diesel, via disqualification. Uh, the other loop that is was a at- very That is a very summer 94. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you ask anyone, what was, what was August of 94, July 94, WF look like? That, that card sums it up. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, the other half of the loop, <laughs> you should listen to this card, uh, was at the Harry Lumley Bayshore Community Center in Owen Sound, Ontario. Or, I'm sorry, Owen Sound, Ontario. Uh, here's your card, speaking of 1994. Uh, the 123 Kid defeated Quang. The Bushwhackers defeated the Executioners, who was Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy. Yep. I wonder if their uh, bullets were crawling out the back of their masks. Uh, Yokozuna defeated Typhoon, which probably is supposed to be Earthquake until he quit, as you'll probably mention uh, in the Herb notes in a moment. Uh, let's see. Jeff Jarrett defeated Doink the Clown. Our women's champion, Alundra Blaze, defeated Luna Vachon. Lex Luger defeated Crush. And in the main event, your World Wrestling Federation champion, the hitman Bret Hart, defeated his little brother, Oon. So Own lost in the Own Sound Ontario Bayshore Community Center. He probably came out with his crown and his scepter because, as we know at this point, he had won the King of the Ring tournament on pay-per-view. So there you go. Also a very 1994 card uh, right there. Um, yes. So there you go. So Bakersfield, California, and Owen Sound, Ontario, uh, the sites for WWF house shows on this June 29th, 1994. No WCW once again. Uh, so, Jr. speaking of Mr. Coons, why don't you dive us into this week's Herb Notes? Marty, you excited for your first taste of Herb Coons? 
You're hey, brother. Let's get high, brother. All right, we got three batches. June 17, 1994, DF has announced King of the Ring this Sunday from Baltimore. Announced lineup as Bret Hart versus Diesel for the world title, Roddy Piper versus Jerry Lawler, the Head Shrinkers versus Yokozuna and Crush for the tag titles. Eight-man King of the Ring tournament, first round, IRS versus Mabel, Ramon versus Bigelow, Jarrett versus Kidd, Tatanka versus Owen Hart. Still no word on Owen Hart's knee or Diesel's knee. As early as two weeks ago, though, Diesel was still not working house shows, and Owen was working reasonably lousy matches, considered who's involved with his brother Bret. May they're saving it for when it counts. Bret Hart will have a family member in his corner. Most frequently mentioned names are Jim Neidhart and David Boy Smith. I've heard or read several reports that Smith has finally returned to Calgary to clear himself of the assault charges against him. And if that's the case, it means he probably won't be at the show. The best bet is still Neidhart because it will be a surprise to people that don't know he's returning. And they could play up the fact that Neidhart and Hart are really related. Art Donovan, former Baltimore Colts, will, uh, is expected to appear at the show as well. The guy who did the Roddy Piper in- imitation, which the crowd of Raw seemed to completely ignore, is expected to be worked into the post-match storyline of Piper Lawler as well. WCW's Clash of Champions on TBS on June 23rd, 8.05, two hours. Flair versus Sting to unify the WCW and international world titles. Nasty Boys versus Sullivan and Cactus Jack for the tag titles. Austin versus Johnny B. Bad for the U.S. title. Zabisco versus Regal for the TV title. Funk and Buck versus Rhodes and Anderson. Guardian Angel versus Tex Zlasinger. Hulk Hogan is expected to make his first in-arena appearance on the show, no doubt as an angle as part of the main event. Flair taped some interviews in an empty studio with the doors guarded to minimize the number of people who heard them. WCW isn't taping any more TV till after the clash, so maybe something will happen. The tag title match is advertised as a normal match instead of a gang fight match, although they hinted there could still be some out-of-the-ring action because of who is involved. In all honesty, they couldn't do matches on TBS like they did at the pay-per-views anyway. Sherry Martell will appear and announce who she will be managing in WCW. Hulk Hogan press conference this past weekend's Saturday night was legitimately live. I read that it was taped earlier and would be plugged as live, but that was not the case. Although I don't really look forward to Hogan's matches, and that's even if he tries to work hard, WCW seems to be promoting things reasonably well so far. The phone line scam, where they said the Hulkamaniacs can let Hogan know if they want him to return, was pretty bad, especially if they played it up as having been a deciding factor in Hogan's returning. Meltzer reports that some phone line plugs still aired after Hogan had signed uh, and the announcement was made. As reported several times on the net, Max Payne is history. This talk will resurface the WF. Cactus Jack is leaving on 9-4-94 to work the indies. Brian Lee debuted this past week on Superstars as The Undertaker. To add to the confusion of his identity, they dubbed in Mark Calloway's voice over Lee's interview. Lee's lips were clearly out of sync with the message. This could be good or bad. If they never mention why he talks to Mark's voice and do the switch at some later time, it's sort of lame. If they're actually using old Undertaker interview clips and showing them then this is Undertaker's interview to make the point. They can claim it was part of Ted DiBiase's scheme to fool everybody. Smoky Mountain Fan Week takes place August 5th to August 9th with lots of events planned over those days. He runs through the whole package. I'm not going to go through that. Meltzer reported in a radio interview with Too Cold Scorpio was pretty interesting. To quote Scorpio complained about being stuck in a tag team with Marcus Bagwell when he was in WCW saying Bagwell is a nice guy but couldn't lace my boots. He also said that at this stage that Pez Watley was a better wrestler than Ric Flair. Later still, Scorpio is vociferous and bitter about his claim that older wrestlers in WCW hold the younger guys down. He blamed the office for him not doing hot moves at house shows. He praised Austin, saying it was him being uh, used to carry Brian Pillman. One of Titan's attorneys wrote a letter into the Observer to clear up any misconceptions we might have about the case against McMahon. His point is clear that he ended with thus, as matters now stand, half of the six charges have already been dismissed. Maybe not being gracious, but I feel like he was trying to say that's half down, half to go. Meltzer must have felt this, too, since he responded with a few subtle refinements. While three of the six were stricken, nothing alleged being done was stricken from the indictment. 
Saturday night seven nine will be live and Great American Bash on seven seventeen from Orlando. Flair versus Hogan, Cactus and Sullivan versus Ordorf and Roma, Austin Steamboat, Vader Guardian Angel, and Funk and Buck versus Rhodes and Arn. Marty, any uh, immediate reaction to that batch of notes? I'm disappointed I didn't get any fever dream fantasy booking. That was pretty standard <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, pretty by the book. Yeah. Not not much to say there too, yeah. All right. Nothing unexpected occurred at King of the Ring this Sunday. No titles changed hand. Owen Hart won the King Tourney, and Jim Nighthawk returned, uh, eventually aligning himself with Owen by the end of the show. Class of Champion, same card we just talked about. Hogan expected to make his first appearance. Sherry will appear and announce who she's managing. The rumors are it'll be Ric Flair. WCW has run ads for the next pay-per-view, talking about Flair defending against Hogan being a possibility. In another promo, Gene Oakland talked about the clash just past Thursday before mentioning pay-per-view matches. Flair unified belts, and Hogan was somehow involved. Sullivan and Jack retained their titles, and so did Zabisco. Gene said that Dustin announced his partner to face Funk and Buck would be Arn Anderson, which leads one to believe the match doesn't take place on the clash, but the angle announcing it will. This could cause confusion because Flair will have to turn heel to work with Hogan. You figure Arn would follow suit instead of teaming with Dustin. Can we hope for an Arn Anderson turn in short order? King Kong Bundy says he's returning to WWF. What new generation? The arrival of Hulk Hogan to WCW has generated much mainstream publicity, has some interesting side effects. First off, many reporters have always praised Hogan during his tenure, will now criticize his wrestling skills and point out he's not that good. While that criticism is valid, its selective mention is curious. Hogan guessed it on several different TV shows to talk about relationship with WCW. All the interviews have been throwaway, but it reflects that Hogan is still a star. In response to this, has launched a massive Hogan blast ad campaign, labeling the Hulkster as part of the old generation, while calling their current crop the new generation. Whatever they might say, this shows that WDF at least feels that Hogan going to WCW will warrant attention. WCW owner Ted Turner will actually be part of a wrestling angle that leads to the contract signing between Hogan and Flair. Turner did a few magazine photos with Flair and appeared on Saturday Night in the audience a few weeks ago. Everyone is saying this is a bad business move for WCW, getting a .87 buy rate on pay-per-view while Hogan's around will maintain the old minor. Profit level for these events seems demanding, but there's part of me that thinks Hogan versus Flair will appeal to a lot of fans, even though wrestling will not be will be non-exciting. It's too early to judge, in my mind. Talks about Smoky Mountain Fan Week again. Talks about the wrestlers uh, appearing at the events. Terry Funk, Dory Funk, Jake Roberts, Heavenly Bodies, Rock Roll Express, Thrill Seekers, Brian Lee, Tracy Smothers, Dirty White Boy, Bob Armstrong, Chris Candido, Tammy Fitch, Bruiser Bedlam, Jim Cornette, and more. Two Guerrero brothers will be brought into feud with Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck. Saturday night will be live on July 9th. Grand American Bash from 717 uh, from Orlando. Flair Hogan, uh, same card pretty much. Clash of Champions on August 26th. is talk that Kurt Hag will debut at the show, but it may not be possible. Besides, the Hogan storyline will change. We'll have ripples on other plans. And SummerSlam, May 29, the lineup temporarily inc- uh, currently includes Undertaker Mark Calloway versus Undertaker Brian Lee. Uh, either of you guys have any thoughts on that batch there? Uh, no, oh, you really. said May 29th. You mean August 29th. Did he, did he put May 20? Did he say May 29? Uh, no, no, he said August. I don't know what the hell May. Oh, okay. Yeah, August 29. Uh, nah, nothing nothing pretty out of the ordinary. Sorry, Marty. I thought there'd be some more excitingly uh, batshit s- stuff to burn. No, it was pretty, pretty cut. Yeah, it was pretty uh, standard stuff, so. And pretty cut and dry. Okay. All right, here's our final uh, bunch here. June 30th, 1994. He's a little bit rushed today, preparing for a flight to Montreal, so not much. Sid Vicious, Davey Boy Smith, Sergeant Slaughter, Greg Valentine, Lanny Poffo, Coco Beware, Damian Demento, Kurt, uh, Kurt, King Kong Bunny, and Mike Sharp are all returning to the WF. So here, here's a list again for 1994. Uh, Marty, you tell me if any of these happened, okay? Sid Vicious. 94, no. No. Uh, 
Davy Boy Smith. Yes. Sergeant Slaughter. I'm going to say no. Greg the Hammer Valentine. No. Lanny Poffo. I don't think so. Coco Beware. He. I don't think so. I don't know. I think he's done. I don't think so, yeah. Damien Demento. I honestly never seen a Damien Demento match. I'm probably better off for it, but I, I, I honestly, if you told me Damien Demento wrestled in '94, I'd believe you. He did not. No, King okay. Kong Bundy, yes, he does return. Yes, he does return. And Mike Sharp, I don't probably. All right. So if you want to give him Mike Sharp, he's got three of these right of yeah. all this list. Uh, Slaughter will feud with Quebec or Pierre now that Jacques Rougeau is gone. So that's the big, big feud coming. Slaughter and Pierre. Uh, reading all the observers from 1983, I've reached one conclusion. Didn't Meltzer just love Bob Backlund? Okay. Smokey Mountain, a fan week. He talks about that again. Montel Williams did a show on catfighting where women fake brawl with each other, eventually stripping each other naked. The women involved referred to it as a sport, so he brought out a female champion kickboxer to take issue. One of the catfighters said, comparing what she does to what we do is like comparing Greco-Roman wrestling to the World Wrestling Federation. Okay. Saturday night will be live on July 9th. Uh, still named Great American Bash, has not changed yet. July 17th from Orlando, it's the same card we talked about. There are plans to paper the house with 5,000 plants to guarantee Hogan the right reaction. There's also plans to have a lot of celebrities show up. Shaquille O'Neal has already had a couple of pro-Hogan interviews air on TV and should appear there as well. There's also talk about George Foreman, Wesley Snipes, and Mr. T being at the show. Antonio Noki will make an appearance as well to set up his Clash appearance in August. That clashes on August 26th. Uh, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart in a cage. Undertaker versus Undertaker included for SummerSlam. Fall Brawl in September. Tentative lineup. Terry Funk, Bunkhouse Buck, Arn Anderson, and Ming versus Dusty Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, and the Nasty Boys in a War Games match. Uh, so that's that. Any uh, final thoughts on those herbs? One thing for me, the uh, Meltzer Backlund thing is uh, sharply sarcastic. Meltzer yeah, yes. Bob Backlund. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big Bob Backlund fan, so that always bugs me. All right, uh, so that'll do with the Herb notes, Scott. Um, but yes, that night that Hulk Hogan signed that press conference that Herb dug into, it was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Ted Turner was on the streets trying to consume some <laughs> stars of the eve to go against Terry Funk. Rolling in his ride, chilling all alone. Just hit the east side of the LBC, our number two song in the nation this week in 1994. Regulate by Nate Dogg and Warren G. Number one, still I swear. Still dominating the airwaves here. Uh, that brings us into Scott Criscola's Vintage Pop Culture Corner. Regulators! Mount up. It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warren G was on the streets trying to consume some skirts for the E. So I can get some phones rolling in my ride, chilling all alone. Yes, I swear that by the next uh, show, this won't be number one anymore. <laughs> Seven straight weeks at number one at this point, as we look at the Billboard chart. Thank you, JR. Uh, uh, ending, uh, I think it's Jill, officially, I think it's July 2nd, 1994. I swear, seven straight weeks at number one. Uh, but yes, number two, a much better song. Uh, regulate uh, Warren G and Nate Dog. Mount up. Uh, Janet Jackson uh, at number three with Anytime, Anyplace, Slash, and On and On. Don't Turn Around by Ace of Base at number four. Back and Forth by Aliyah. 
at number five. I'll Remember, which was number two in our last episode, JR, from Madonna, from the movie With Honors, at number uh, six. You Mean the World to Me by Tony Braxton at number seven. Stay by Lisa Loeb. Yes, that song. You say only here when I want to. And number eight from Reality Bites. Man, that I feel like that soundtrack is kind of unheralded. Say, every song you songs. name is from that soundtrack, yes. Yeah, that's like crazy. Speaking of, uh, number nine from Reality Bites <laughs> is Big Mountain with, ba- with their version of Baby, I Love Your Way. And then at number 10, If You Go by John Sakata. John Sakata had a song in 1994. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm adding this song because this has a lot to do with our next um, with our next uh, topic. Uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight by Elton John mm-hmm. is number 11. There's a reason why I'm mentioning that. Let's go from the radio to the big screen and the big uh, movie charts. Uh, what made big money ending the week, July 1st, 1984 at number 10. Oh, we had one. Uh, this is crazy. Had to be fourth of July weekend. Cause there was in our top 10, there are five premieres, five premiere movies on this week in 1994. Number 10 is one of them. Little big league. Now, I get confused. Nice. Is Little Big League the kid that owns the Twins, or is that the kid that pitches yes. for the Cubs? No, that's rookie of the year. The Little Big League is okay. the kid with the Twins, yes. Okay. That got, and they actually, actually, uh, Junior was actually in the movie, Kegger for Junior. Um, uh, yes. yes. Yep. Yeah, the yeah. Twins so, had the real players. Rookie of the year had the the fake fake players. Had, like, the guys on, like, Major League. Uh, number nine, Baby's Day Out, which I think is, is that a sequel to... Look Who's Talking? No, that was Look Who's Talking 2. <laughs> I don't know what Baby's Day Out is. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, that, that debuted at number nine. Number eight, which was number one on our last episode, The Flintstones, uh, has made $112 million. I kind of made fun of it. Uh, number seven, Wyatt Earp, one of many uh, dreadfully long Kevin Costner epics throughout the next like 15 mm-hmm. years at number uh, seven. Number six, actually a pretty good movie, Wolf. Starring uh, Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer uh, at number six. Marty, any of these movies strike your fancy so far? I was five in 1994. <laughs> I, I don't know any of these movies. <laughs> you don't know Little Big League? Never you heard know. of Little remember? Big League. I've heard oh, of the Flintstones. I, that's the live action with real people as like the Flintstones, right? right? Yeah, I think yeah. I saw that as a child. That would be like something like the substitute teacher would play when I hit like elementary school. Yeah. All right. Um... At number five, another uh, debut, I Love Trouble, which I don't remember. So, Disney movie, though. At number four, I definitely remember this movie, Blown Away, which was another, I think that was a Steven Seagal movie. At number three, this is a big one, big movie in the early half of the 90s, Speed. With, of course, Keanu Reeves. Which I believe, uh, I, I think I saw in the theater, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I definitely did. With, uh, yeah, Keanu and uh, what's her face? Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock and uh, villain Dennis Hopper. Mm-hmm. At number two, a uh, superhero movie, but an unheralded one, The Shadow, starring Alec Baldwin. Pretty good movie. At number two, and number one, and probably you should all under- you should probably all figure out which one it is based on the extra song I gave uh, in the Billboard chart. One week 
in theaters, three weeks in theaters. It is number one. It has already made $104 million. I am, of course, talking about The Lion King. Have you seen that one, Marty? Yes, so that was probably something I saw in theaters. I don't remember seeing it in theaters, but I, I distinctly remember watching it many times. You've heard of it. Heard <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard of The Lion King. Okay. I've actually heard of Speed also. I've seen Speed, but if you had asked me when Speed came out, I would have thought five years prior, to be honest with you. So right. that was kind of shocking that it came out in 94. Yeah. Lion King's a juggernaut, no doubt. Yeah, it is. Um, oh, yeah. It, that was big, that, during that, the big that, renaissance of Disney. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Movies. Yeah, we've talked about it. We've documented it heavily. You know, uh, uh, Little Mermaid, uh, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah. This was Aladdin. the five-year streak. Aladdin between, like, 89 and 95 when I think Pocahontas, Pocahontas would come out soon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mulan, that, those kind of, yeah, is when, like, the... the Mulan the, Rouge. Yeah. Mulan, <laughs> Mulan Rouge. No, that'd be a little later. Um, so there's your... Oh, your so Will Kim didn't not- perform on the Mulan soundtrack? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Neither did Pink. Um, no, okay. So, all right. So there's your uh, weekend chart. Actually, not a bad Fourth of July weekend, guys, for uh, 1994. Good summer there. Not bad at all. Uh, let's get a look at uh, baseball on this Fourth mm-hmm. uh, of July. On this July 1st, I'm sorry, on this June 29th, 1994, there were 13 games on the docket. Yankees beat the Red Sox four to three in 10 innings. Uh, I do not see the Mets playing on this day. Yes. Uh, yeah, it didn't matter. They sucked. Uh, Yankees lead the AL East by four and a half over the Orioles. Cleveland led the Central. Texas led the West, and still all four teams are under 500. Uh, Braves led the East by a game and a half over Montreal. Cincinnati, uh, two and a half over Houston in the Central. And the Dodgers led the Rockies by four and a half. And uh, that's pretty much it. A very succinct JR Pop Culture Corner. All right, uh, so let's talk about what's going on in the world of uh, Place to Be Nation, Scott. What do you got going on in the Place to Be, uh, this very feed here, Place to Be Show Wrestling feed, the pop feed, pop experience. You got anything you want to highlight? Uh, yes, uh, the PTB Wrestling Network is always great. We always have great stuff here. Um, we have a Main Event, which, of course, just celebrated its 200th episode, so check that out. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and all the other great shows we have, of course, uh, NWA, Crock and Roll, Highway to the Impact Zone, of course, this fine show, all the other great monthly shows, all of Sean Kidd's 800 shows, uh, <laughs> but uh, which is great, of course, uh, and all the great stuff here. So place to be.podbean.com. You and I, of course, continue to uh, go on a roll. Uh, also, of course, the PTB Pop Experience, Andy Atherton, Miranda, everybody over there doing all mm-hmm. the great stuff, movies, TV and such, uh, the daily jukebox, video jukebox song of the day. Um, JR, what is going on over on the no hyphen so? Oh, uh, so yeah, North South Connection. There's lots going on. We have a podcast dropping every day. We can talk for a minute about Marty's favorite podcast besides this one, the Wrestling War Zone. Myself and Chad Campbell going through the Monday Night Wars. We are into the fall of 1996. Uh, when this is dropping, we're, I think we're inching closer at least toward. Uh, Halloween Havoc. We definitely would have had uh, Buried Alive be out by now, so that's a, a good conversation on that. Uh, it's a really interesting time. You know, WCW's been red hot and on fire, and I think we're finally starting to hit the WF turnaround point for them. 
as we get toward the end of 96, as at least from overall interest level on Raw starts to pick up a little bit. So uh, that's uh, coming at you every other Thursday. That alternates with Extreme Three-Way Dance Podcast, myself, Jenny, and Matt Souza, going through the history of ECW. We're into uh, 1997 now, so we're, we've been definitely making a lot of progress. And we are ambling upon the first ever ECW pay-per-view, barely legal. So it feels like a big milestone mm-hmm. for us to get know, to that right? point. So, yeah, we're excited about that for sure. Finally, finally, hopefully uh, certain fans out there have been clamoring for that that review for years. We'll, get, we'll enjoy it. So uh, we'll get to that. And, of course, all the other content. Like I said, every day we have something dropping. Uh, a great bunch of uh, hosts and a lot of dedicated guests and content churning out. A lot of it's evergreen. So if you want to park it catch up later do a big binge like marty does on his walks and share all your thoughts you could do that as well at the north south connection marty anything you want to talk about yeah so as people probably have noticed in this year i'm less prolific as i uh not as i used to be and so that's because i got a girlfriend and you know you got to make sacrifices i love her very much but uh so wrestling's kind of been on the chopping block uh people want to go to pro wrestling only i'm superstar sleaze s-l-double-e-z-e uh, archival stuff there, a lot of writing. Uh, I am active on Twitter. I still watch WWE. Yes, I'm one of the few people who have, do that. I watch Raw and SmackDown every week. Uh, so you can catch me on Twitter at Superstar Sleeves. Uh, I also talk about AEW also. So if people care about modern wrestling, uh, you can go over to my Twitter and uh, read what I have to say. All right, let's fast forward to 2008. It's time to talk Night of Champions. Mm-hmm. June 29th, 2008, from the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas, 16,000. 151 in attendance, 273,000 buys. Pretty good. That's a pretty good bump from the last show, Scott, here mm. uh, for Night of Champions. So some excitement, I guess, circling yes. around. So first yep. official edition of Night of Champions as a standalone brand. If you remember last year, it was Vengeance Night of Champions. This is the mm-hmm. 13th pay-per-view in the state of Texas. Tied for Can- with Canada for fourth on the list. Dallas's third show, first in Survivor Series 03. It's also the second straight year the pay-per-view is in Texas. 2007's Vengeance Night of Champions was in Houston. On 6-2 Raw, Vince McMahon came out with armed guards, announced a million-dollar mania starting the next week. Fans would be called and offered different dollar amounts up to $1 million. Vince says they can register now on WWE.com. On June 3rd, ECW Armando Alejandro Estrada was removed from power, and Teddy Long became the new general manager of ECW. On June 5th, D'Lo Brown signed a contract to return to WWE after being gone for over five years. On June 9th, Floyd Money Mayweather announced his retirement from boxing. That same day, Jimmy Wang Yang was suspended for 30 days for violating the wellness policy for the first time. On the June 9th, Raw Million Dollar Mania began as Vince came out and gave up to $1 million to numerous fans that he called. The most remembered segments included Vince calling someone, only you get a ringtone of Rick Astley's ever going to give you up. One where the line was consistently busy and one where he gave a fan money based on our measurements. And at one point, even gave a fan he called only $2. Starting on June 11th, ECW and SmackDown did a two-week tour of Australia. On June 15th, Vince held a Million Dollar Mania press conference at Times Square Hard Rock Cafe. Appearances with John Cena, Triple H, Maria, and contest winner Steve Rosenwig and Sarah Furman. 
On June 16th, Raw Mania Mania continued. Vince gave out more money to fans and highlights include one of the calls going to voicemail and Vince giving fans $16 of promised money. On June 18th, WWE offered opened their first official office in Tokyo, Japan. On June 20th, Get Smart dropped with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and The Great Khali that opened in theaters. Steve Carell movie. And on June 23rd, Raw WWE held the draft. Same format as the previous year where there would be a series of interpromotional matches. Whoever won the match would earn their brand draft picks. Here are the results. Triple H defeated Mark Henry. Raw drafted Rey Mysterio. Finley and Hornswoggle defeated Carlito and Santino Morella. SmackDown drafted Jeff Hardy. Hardcore Harley and Cody Rhodes defeated Chavo Guerrero and Bam Neely, so Raw drafted CM Punk, finally, off of ECW. John Morrison and The Miz defeated the Hardys, so ECW drafted the U.S. champion, Matt Hardy. Melina and Mickey James wrestled uh, Victoria and Natalia to a double disqualification. This was an announcers-only draft match, and due to the decisions, both brands had a draft pick. And SmackDown drafted Jim Ross, while Raw drafted Michael Cole. If you recall, that caused a lot of kerfluffle. <laughs> JR and Jerry Lawler were not informed of this change. Uh, they were not happy to be broken up at the time. John Cena defeated Edge. Raw ended up drafting Batista. MVP defeated Tommy Dreamer, so SmackDown drafted Umaga. JBL defeated Kofi Kingston. Raw drafted Kane, the ECW champion. Edge won a tri-branded battle royal to earn two picks, and SmackDown drafted Mr. Kennedy and WWE champion Triple H. It's going to work Tuesdays. On the 623 Raw, the final edition of Million Dollar Mania took place as Vince gave out five fans $100,000 and one fan $500,000. As Vince gave away the $500,000, a light fixture fell onto the stage out of nowhere. Part of the stage as Vince was standing on collapsed and Vince fell to the floor. As he recovered, the giant scaffolding fell on top of him as well. Triple H, John Cena, Edge, and EMTs came out to help Vince. The unintentional highlight is Vince calling for Paul as he was being helped. <laughs> of course, this... Uh, Continues Vince's soap opera storylines that he's desperate to have, right? He tried the limo blowing up. That got derailed by Benoit. We did the horn swoggle as the sun. And now we're doing this uh, mystery of who who uh, destroyed the stage and tried to kill Vince. Uh, <laughs> June 25th, we had a supplemental draft. Raw drafted Jamie Noble, Deuce, Chuck Palumbo, Matt Stryker, Layla, and Kofi Kingston. SmackDown drafted Trevor Murdoch, Big Daddy V, D.H. Smith, Brian Kendrick, Maria, Shelton Benjamin, and Carlito. And ECW drafted Mark Henry, Hornswoggle, Super Crazy, and Finley. Uh, so that's that. Guys have any thoughts on the draft or any of the news and notes there? So I, I got a question. I, I was watching at the time. I was watching Raw only. So I do remember the McMahon giveaway thing. Mm-hmm. What I I mean I remember the light fixture falling on him. Was there any fallout? Did we ever find out who actually did it? I don't think so. I guess we'll find out no. as we move forward. But I don't. I think I don't, they drop I don't, it again. Yeah, I think they drop it because it was fucking stupid. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I don't remember one either actually. And was the money giveaways works or did that was a shoot? No, it was real. Oh, it was really? real. Okay. Yeah, no, I it think was it was like good. um. I think they'd get like insurance. It was like a contest type thing, you know, like give away prize money or whatever, but uh-huh. okay. Okay. So, all right, we got a pretty good championship based opening video centered all around the obsession over gold. Plus the build to the top feuds, Jim Ross and McFoley welcome us to Dallas, a uh, new announced team. Thanks to the draft. And they set up the night ahead and we get to our opening match, which is the Miz and John Morrison taking on Finley and Hornswoggle for the WWE Tag Team titles. Very interesting match, Scott. You want to talk about how we got here? Yes. Uh, weird MVP getting relegated to the dark match. That's kind of sad. Uh, um, 
On the 6-6 SmackDown, uh, Morrison and Miz were teasing Hornswoggle by taking his hat and keeping it away from him until Finley scared them off with Hornswoggle spraying both men with a water gun. On the 6-13 SmackDown, uh, Morrison defeated Hin- uh, Finley uh, after Finley was distracted by Miz constantly going after Hornswoggle during the match. Uh, on This match was announced on the 6-16 the Raw and the 6-17 uh, ECW, Finley and Hornswoggle signed the contract as Miz protested only for Finley to hit Miz in the face with the shillelagh. On the 620 SmackDown, uh, Finley defeated Miz after Miz and Morrison, who was doing commentary, were distracted by Hornswoggle. On the 624 ECW, Hornswoggle cost Miz and Morrison a match against CM Punk and Matt Hardy. And finally, on the go-home SmackDown on 626, Finley and Hornswoggle defeated Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder while Miz and Morrison watched on from the stage. So, All right, Miz and Morrison's... Yeah, yeah, not bad. And uh, Finley and Hornswoggle has been an interesting pairing. Uh, it's an odd choice, but Hornswoggle works hard, and like they get it over, and in a way, it, it right. kind of hits. Um, even though it's right. kind of stupid, <laughs> but Finley's great enough too to make it work. So, uh, Miz and Morrison also their chemistry is definitely improving as we go. A lot of hard strikes from Finley, as you'd expect. Uh, Miz uses Finley for uh, Hornswoggle for bait, and they take Finley down. That's how they kind of take over. You get Foley commenting on Hornswoggle's ass a lot during this match, which is ample. Uh, the champs swarm Finley. They take control again. Uh, we get a hot tag to Hornswoggle. He nice through the Miz with some pretty fun offense. He throws them all around. Miz smacks Hornswoggle back. Foley says it's insulting offense as opposed to damaging the way they're smacking uh, Hornswoggle around. Morrison spikes Hornswoggle hard to the buckle. JR reminds us that Eminem removed to ECW in the supplemental draft. Hornswoggle finds a seam, tries to scamper to tag, but the champion did an awesome double clothesline on him. Hornswoggle eventually dodges a charge, but he can't tag in time. Finally, Finley gets the hot tag. He gets two on a power slam on Morrison, but he gets knocked outside. Hornswoggle goes up top, and Morrison slams him really hard off the top to the map, and the champs retain. That's a pretty fun match. I thought they structured it well with Hornswoggle taking the heat, uh, which is how it should be done, because he can bump like a madman, and it makes Eminem look like even bigger asshole bullies by by beating on him the whole time. So I thought I thought the structure was good. They also kept it moving. The crowd was hooked because there's no slow spots. Uh, that was a fine choice for an opener, uh, Sky. I, I thought on paper it was a little questionable, but once it got cranking, it was it was pretty good. So I went two and three quarter stars. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Eight forty eight your match time. Uh, I gave it a two and a half. I mean, it was good. Uh, Finley is a hard worker. Uh, obviously a comedy match, but Miz and Morrison, you know, even though they're the champs, they can, you know, get away with a match like this and not look too bad, you know, create creatively while doing it. Um, but a good opener, you know, crowd, you know, it's kind of behind Hornswoggle and Finley's actually a pretty decent baby face. Um, I would think it would have been fun for them to upset them for the titles, but I, I think that might've, you know, kind of ruined the titles if you have that happen. But, uh, I thought I enjoyed the back and forth. Um, and, I'm wondering if when they start getting to the point where Miz needs to be more than just a joke because Morrison obviously is this, you know, they're treating him like the Shawn Michaels and Miz is the Marty Jannetty, but uh, obviously that changes eventually. But uh, overall, I thought it was a fun match, Marty, uh, two and a half stars. Uh, you know, this might be the first real low grade I've given for a match in 08 in a while, but uh, fun nonetheless. Yeah, I'm two and a half as well. Uh, I love Finley, a big Finley mark, but Hornswoggle uh, was definitely the MVP for me. Uh, the double butt splash of the gang was a ton of fun. I really liked uh, the hot tag to Hornswoggle uh, where he hit the Hurricane Rana and the uh, stunner on the Miz. Miz really bumped and fed well for that. 
Uh, so enjoyed that. And then, as JT pointed out, that double clothesline was vicious. I popped for that. Um, and then the ending, Finley hit all his shit that you want him to hit. He looked good. It's Chris. Uh, sets up Hornswoggle for the you know the win, but can't get it done. He gets thrown off. So, yeah, it's it's efficient. It was fun. It never um, lagged. So I dug it. And actually, Scott, one thing I do agree with you. I I think Finley Hornswoggle winning would have actually been fun. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I I think they're building Miz and Morrison well though, so I was kind of fine with them retaining. But I I guess I would say I have no issue with Finley and Hornswoggle being used as a team in the spot. Like I think it's. I actually thought they surprisingly did a pretty good job of normalizing it, which is very un WWE like. <laughs> like they didn't gimmick it up or make it feel like a mixed tag or goofy. It just felt like a tag match, and they they've actually done a pretty good job presenting Hornswoggle that way throughout this, uh, which is impressive because again, it goes against their normal grain. All right, Michael Cole and the King reset us. We revisit Cena versus Triple H in WrestleMania 22. Cole reminds us that Hunter's been drafted to SmackDown, so we either need Cena or Batista to win tonight if we're going to get a belt back to Raw, or else we're going to have two titles on SmackDown going forward. The mobile poll asks that exact question, which of those men will bring the title back? All right, next up is our U.S. championship match as Matt Hardy takes on Chavo Guerrero. Scott, do you want to tell us about how we got to this point? Yes, uh, on the 613 SmackDown, uh, everyone, uh, Guerrero announced that he would be challenging for the U.S. title. And after Hardy defeated Chuck Palumbo, Guerrero announced him as the winner before declaring he would lose the title at the pay-per-view. Uh, on the 620 SmackDown, Hardy defeated Bam Neely in a match after Guerrero was ejected from ringside during the match. And on the 627 SmackDown, Edge defeated Hardy in a battle of champions. So... Very, very short build here as we headed to, uh, to this. And I guess a correction, because I think we said, so did Hardy, did he win the belt from Shelton on that pre, on that heat match or pre-show match or whatever? Remember our last show? We said it was on title. He must have won uh, it there. According to. Or was he, well, no, he Dar- was already champion, right? Yeah, Shelton no, he won it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jeff, yeah. Uh, Jeff Hardy and MVP was the dark match. Yeah. On the yeah. last show? I thought it was Hardy and Benjamin. Remember we said it? On the last on show. On the last yeah. yeah, the la- yeah, on uh I'm talking about the show tonight. No, Matt Matt uh Matt won it uh ju- Judgment Day? Yeah, I think you're right. I think yeah, I watched that one. Yeah, Judgment Day. So All right, we got a big pop for the US champion Matt Hardy. Uh Chavo Bam Neely with him. Jared with a lot of talk about the Guerrero legacy, the importance of the US title historically, which is good stuff. Foley knows that Chavo snuck his way into the style shot, of course, as always. Get a side headlock from Hardy to get us going. Foley really gets it to the importance of the belt. Chavo clips the knee to take over. He zooms in on battering that knee. A lot of strikes and submissions. Hardy fights back and gets a bulldog, but Chavo survives. Chavo misses a swanton, and Matt pops up and hits him with a clothesline. They trade some strikes. Hardy gets an elbow off the middle rope. Chavo kicks out at one as Hardy doesn't have enough in him to cover. Chavo ends up blocking a twist of fate after swinging DDT, goes into a half crab. Hardy fights up. It's an enziguri, but Chavo blocks and hits two of the three amigos. But Hardy counters the third into a twist of fate for the win. And color me surprised, but I actually enjoyed this one, even though it's a Chavo match. It has some good psychology and structure. The knee work was on point. Hardy was really good selling and limping through the offense. Uh, Chavo kicking out early in counts, I thought was nice, too. You don't get that often. And it had a good finish. So this is a pretty quality pay-per-view win. Hardy keeps rolling the U.S. champion. Again, you know, he's, he's a pretty high-level TV and pay-per-view worker at the stretch. And Chavo hung with him. Chavo's fine in these spots. Uh, he can he can deliver enough to work with a guy like Hardy. So, Marty, I went three stars. What do you think of this match? 
JT, how could you give something three stars when Chavo was kicking like the way he was kicking? <laughs> like he's uh, a horrible uh, kicker. <laughs> he's terrible at kicking. Stomp, Chavo, stomp. Uh, it was fine. It was fine. Uh, three's fine. I, I can understand that. I went two and a half. I thought it was uh, same entertainment level as the opener uh, for me. Like you said, solid limb psychology match. Uh, Matt Hardy really carried it with his selling. Uh, two things I'll note is on the bulldog and the side effect, I really liked how he did it. Uh, it's almost like he just fell with his weight, and that's how he drove Chavo down because he couldn't put any power on his legs. So kudos to Matt. Yeah, Matt really carried this. I thought Chavo was pretty, Yeah, like you said, Chavo's not that great. Uh, he didn't. I thought the half crab was good. The yanking off the middle rope was good. Uh, but it was short. It was inoffensive. Honestly, it's... In a week, I'm not going to remember this match. It's pretty much how I feel. Scott, yeah, Joe. yeah, I gave it, I gave it a three. Uh, I, I, th- I thought it wasn't too bad. Uh, Nine twenty-one, your match time. Um, yeah, I mean, it was fine. I mean, it's a win for Matt. You know, him and the, he's kind of, you know, him and Edge. We all know their history, so it kind of fits that he's battling. Uh, you know, that he's battling one of Edge's guys right now. And I mean, Chavo's a scrub. Let's be honest. I, I, I agree. Uh, um, uh, you know, and, and Chavo's just slowly starting to just lose his usefulness. I think we're all pretty aware of that. Um, I don't think he was going to win the title here. I think he lost that usefulness about three years prior to this, but yeah. Well, that's, well, that's true. That's true too. But, uh, this is, yeah, this is just, this is garbage. Um, it's funny. I'm saying garbage and I think it's three stars. I think Matt Hardy's been great. I don't think he deserves to get a crappy, a crappy, uh, match grade for doing his best to, to push this match past the finish line game a lot of time 921 mm-hmm. and uh you know nice win for matt and chavo's a scrub and i still don't get bam neely i think that's fucking stupid but i don't know who's the i don't know who the bruins fan and creative is but anyway uh yeah no it's got much more to say pretty pretty cut and dry that was, a Charlie Brothers fan. Yeah, that, that's actually one weird thing like about bam neely to that point like in the 90s or 80s he gets involved he touched matt hardy once like it was very strange wwe booking like that's something vince would always be all over so like it's already that kind of 21st century thing where people aren't getting shine they're just going out there and then not doing anything it was very weird i noticed that yeah i thought he didn't and i think he had been more involved regularly i don't i don't know why here he's not but uh, all right, we see Tony Dorsett in the crowd as Cole and King catch us up on Mr. McMahon giving away a million dollars. And then, of course, the Raw set blew up and collapsed. Adam Lee and the Taz set us up for the ECW match tonight. It's in the McMahon family. We'll have a statement on Raw tomorrow about uh, Vince's status. So we have a big boy triple threat match here with the ECW title on the line. Big Show and Mark Henry challenging Kane. Scott, how do we get here? Well, if you listen to our last episode, you know, <laughs> on the 6-6 six, six Smackdown. Well, you know part of it. Yes, we know part of it. Uh, on the 6-6 six, six Smackdown, Big Show cut a promo while showing off the scars he suffered from the match at One Night Stand and vowed to become ECW champion once again. But he was interrupted by Mark Henry, who mocked him for getting injured, and Show challenged him, though Henry would walk away. On the 6-10 ECW, uh, Henry appeared and called Show out. A show did, not com- did come out, and Henry congratulated him on his win. And he said that if Show won the title, he wanted the first shot with Show agreeing to as they shook hands and Show would issue Henry a warning. After Henry left, Show cut a promo saying that he would become champion before heading to the back as Kane came out for his match. And the two had a stare down in the aisle until Show let Kane pass. On the 613 SmackDown, Henry again made fun of Show and showed off his scars from one night stand as he said that Show would look worse if he laced him. 
uh, if he faced him, and then he would defeat Tommy Dreamer in a squash. On the 620 SmackDown, Kane defeated MVP in a non-title match by countout, only for Henry to attack him after the match, and he gave Kane the world's strongest slam. On the 624 ECW, Henry defeated Kane clean in a non-title match while Show did commentary. That was weird. And on the 627 SmackDown, it was announced that Henry was being added to the match, making it a triple threat, and then Show and Kane would defeat Henry and MVP in a tag match. So there you go. All right. We've uh, lost the narrative a bit of what this brand should be. We've talked about this on every episode so far. It's fine. I guess it's in the spirit of ECW to take in veterans who are a little bit lost, but let's get the blend with the younger dudes as well. This is just a rehash of feuds we've seen. I will say Henry's presence is great. I think he's actually a good addition here versus just doing show and Kane again. But it continues to feel like a slide down for show after the big return at WrestleMania. We get a lot of heavy blows right away. Kane goes to Henry's knee. Show it's a big clothesline. Uh, Kane gets a DDT, but show overtakes both guys and throws them to the floor. Show and Henry get a big lockup. We get some big, really big collisions. Uh, some trainers come out to check on Kane on the floor as he's pretty banged up out there. That's where we got knocked down. Uh, show just keeps barreling into Henry. Kane waves the trainers away. Show's just dominating the match. Loads up a choke slam, but Henry breaks free, and we get a double clothesline. Kane fights back up, goes off up to the top, and hits a clothesline on Henry to a big pop. Kane and Show double choke slam. Henry and Show covers, but Kane breaks it up, and they start fighting. Kane comes off the top, and Show catches him by the throat, slams him for two. The crowd's pretty into this one, and I thought Adam Lee and Taz were doing a good job bringing some excitement to the Haas war as well. Show gets two on a back suplex, goes up top, but Kane is up and suplexes him down. But then Henry flies in and big splashes Kane to pick up the win. I thought that was an awesome finish. Uh, it was really well-timed. This was a good shit, too. These dudes trucked through a great pace. They brought the heat. There's all sorts of big bombs, the bumps. The crowd was into it. I thought they did a nice job making it feel like a spectacle. The commentary was all into it, too. They're, like, in awe of these big guys. It felt like a special moment. Henry was in tears, winning the big one finally after this long trek of all these injuries. I, I this was good stuff, Scott. I went, I went three stars again on it. Um, these guys really, really delivered. A big show, just like he did last month, continues to really step up with this uh, lean-down body and refreshed uh, attitude. It feels like it's been a nice addition to really making this stuff come together. I concur. Uh, your match time was 8.19 for Mark Henry, uh, getting the win. Uh, I gave it a three. Uh, I like the Hosses. I mentioned mm -hmm. it on the last show, uh, but you're right. ECW is just a bunch of guys wrestling over a useless belt. I'm sorry. That's how it feels now. Mm -hmm. And it gets even worse. Uh, I'm not sure if this is the pay-per-view or if they do it at the bash, but when they, like the one vestige of ECW that still had any kind of ECW to it was the belt. Uh, right. It was the old ECW belt that obviously you guys are talking. I think you're at that point now on uh, Extreme Three Way Dance, right? I think this belt is it, right? It's not. It's not. Are you still on the old belt with the Pennsylvania state on it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, so you'll be getting to this belt soon. Um, but this is the belt everyone remembers in ECW, and pretty soon it becomes evident that all these big guys. This is a total Vince thing. All these big guys holding this little teeny tiny belt and it doesn't look like a championship anymore. So uh, we'll soon be seeing goodbye to this belt and getting a WWE up ECW title belt, which looks nothing like ECW would ever have in, in the old ECW. Uh, we'll get to that uh, in our future shows. But uh, this is definitely I feel like this is definitely uh, a brand that has lost its way and is just being used just to put extra guys over and give somebody uh, an extra world title belt. Um, that's pretty much what it seems like, mm -hmm. um, which is sad because when ECW was getting hot 
you know, when they when when we had our original one night stand in 05 and then we had the one in 06 and it felt special when show was champion. It even felt special when, you know, last year with Lashley and Vince mm-hmm. and all that. Now it just feels like a bunch of guys wrestling about for another belt that has no meaning. So it's kind of unfortunate, Marty. Uh, I did like the Haas match as a whole, though. Um, and Mark Henry winning was a nice thing for him. But ECW is just totally rudderless right now. Yeah, I really enjoyed this match a lot. Uh, as a big Mark Henry fan, especially the Hall of Pain era, I was looking forward uh, to seeing him uh, pre-Hall of Pain. I like Big Show. I'm pretty anti-Kane. I usually think Kane sucks. But in a twist of fate, uh, Kane is my MVP. I thought uh, Kane had the working boots on tonight, and he was on fire throughout the entire match. I did have that blip where I don't know what happened, if they were trying to work a work shoot injury or forgot like some sort of weird cramp or something but eventually comes back in and he crushed it i hate his flying clothes ryan it's one of the most atrocious like standard high spots in the history of wrestling it always looks like shit but the rest of uh he everything he did was just on fire drop kicks ddt's moving the punches looked great uh he was totally in a groove uh big show and mark henry always uh rocket uh 2011 uh definitely was their peak but you could see uh, a harbinger of what was to come. And then the Kane Big Show stuff, the superplex. And then, uh, like um, JT said, the finish was uh, perfectly timed with mm-hmm. Mark Henry's splash. Uh, so I went three and a quarter on this one. This was uh, definitely a really good super heavyweight match. And work rate Kane does exist. I saw it happen. I couldn't believe <laughs> it. <Here he is. laughs> yep. Live and in living color. Eve talks to Batista backstage about bringing the world heavyweight title back to Raw. Says he won't return to Raw empty-handed, and he'll be the man there. John Cena comes in smirking. He welcomes Batista back to Raw and has issue with Batista's comments. Says they could both bring the belts back to Monday. Punk comes in and says he hopes they both win because his briefcake is briefcase is getting a little heavy. <laughs> Pretty good cake. segment. Briefcake. Uh, Bruce the Barber. Good, good segment to reestablish the top Raw dogs. Next up is our tag team title match. As Cody Rhodes and Hardcore Holly are set to, de- to defend against Ted DiBiase and a mystery partner, Scott. What is up with this? What? Uh, this is it's like something paper- we've had no no sign of on any show. But here we I are. I know, right? <laughs> it's like totally, totally out of the blue. Uh, this is the pay-per-view of Ted debut of Ted DiBiase Jr., the son of the Million Dollar Man. And while he is making his debut, this is also Hardcore Holly's final pay-per-view. This is it, as he will be released in January. Yeah, in January, that following January of 2009, uh, to end his 15-year hiatus, or hiatus, 15-year tenure uh, with uh, WWE. Of course, I think I mentioned his name, Sparky Plug, during one of our house shows. Mm -hmm. Um, On the 526 Raw, Rhodes and Holly defeated Paul London and Brian Kendrick. And after the match, Ted DiBiase appeared on the stage and said, that Holly and Rhodes' reign would end soon as he introduced his son, Ted DiBiase Jr., and DiBiase guaranteed that he would be a champion in his first match at the expense of Holly and Rhodes. On the 6-9 Raw, Rhodes and Holly lost the non-title match to Umaga and uh, Snitsky as DiBiase came out and said that the champs have been on a losing streak since he made the challenge, and he said he would have a mystery partner that would help him take the title. Uh, On the 6-16 Raw, DiBiase would assist Rhodes, and Holly in defeating Crime Time in a squash. And on the 623 Raw, Holly and Rhodes defeated Chavo Guerrero and Bam Neely in a non-title match. Jesus, these guys are everywhere. 
in a non-title match while DiBiase did commentary. I understand La Familia being a faction, but Jesus Christ. I know, they're on everything. Chavo's like fucking every. Jay-Z, these two guys are like this everywhere. This is why I was so burned out. I fucking hated him. <laughs> he, was, he was like constantly being pushed. Yeah, all over the, the fucking plane. Jesus. So, all right, big. well, I don't know where we go into this tag match. Uh, as someone who just had to watch every Bob Holly Royal Rumble appearance and talk about it, uh, I am not <laughs> that just <laughs> That was miserable. Uh, our unlikely champions are out in their neon green tights. Mentor veteran Holly, up-and-comer Rhodes. They've been on top since December, crazy enough. Cole says they're rattled by DiBiase's mystery challenge. King says the champs seem to be not on the same page lately. DiBiase's out. He's solo. He says it's a problem. His partner's late. He just needs 10 more minutes. His ref's not having it, though, as DiBiase wants to push the match later. And as a result, he's going to wrestle alone. So he says, fuck it. We'll start now, and maybe my partner will get here in time. DiBiase demands Holly get in the ring, so Cody tags him. But then Cody nails Holly from behind and hits a DDT. DiBiase smirks. The crowd is not having it as DiBiase announces that Rhodes is now his partner. DiBiase tags in, hits the million-dollar leg sweep, and we have new tag team champions in Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase. Just an angle, but a good one. Uh, I think it's a good move for Rhodes. Get away from the relic Holly. Build a new young super team. It was well done. I like that they didn't drag it out or fake it. They just got right into it. That's one of my small pet peeves in wrestling when they do a heel turn after like a 20 minute match, like, like unless it was like a spur of the moment heel turn. But when they do like a planned one always bothers me, just just do it right away and get it done with. So I like that they executed it that way. I think it was one of the more obvious ones I remember watching at the time. Like it was pretty clear that this is where they were going with it. But screw it. It needed to be done. Marty, I gave it two stars because I thought it was actually a pretty well done angle. Uh, but what did you think of this? Well, it's a surprise to no one. Cody came out, and Cody had the match of the night. Five stars easily. <laughs> Greatest wrestler of all time. Crushing it even way back in 2008. See, people didn't even know he was this good. But mm-hmm. now, because of the AEW realm, we realize in retrospect, he was killing it the whole time. Uh, yeah, this was fine. Um, yeah, I didn't give it a grade or nothing. Um, yeah, like you said, this was the way to go. It turns out Ted DiBiase was a whole lot of nothing. Cody Rhodes needed to get out of the system and figure things out. But yeah, I I mean, if I was booking at the time, I would do this too. Yeah, I gave it a, it was just a minute and a half and that was perfect. Uh, I gave it one and three quarters just because it wasn't really a match. But JR, you hit the renown right in the head. I think we've all thought this throughout the many, many years or in Marty's case, few years compared to the rest of us uh, (laughs) in watching wrestling that, you're gonna do a heel turn. It's like that. Which what match was it when like when like uh, Scott Steiner turned heel on his brother, like in the middle of the match, but the match kept going. He was just acting like a dick. It was so fucking weird. Like just you know, just well, one of the more famous ones was uh, is it Wyndham's turn in like '87 or whatever? What's the tag? Early oh, 88. with Luger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when he joined yeah. the Horsemen. Don't, that yeah. one's like a long match. And then he like he turns at the end like that one always bugs me a little bit because it's it was obviously kind of planned that he was going to join the horsemen, but they wrestle like a full match anyway. Like, I don't know. I just I always prefer when they just cut to the chase and just do it. That that makes more sense to me. I agree. No, with I you. agree. Yeah, I agree with you, too. And I, I said this in one of our chats earlier. I'm like, I don't know which is uh, the more unusual to 2022 Cody with a neck tat or t- 2008 Cody with a nose stud. That's <laughs> right. Very, very weird. Cody trying to, you know, rock all the different accoutrements. But uh, no, the, Cody needed this. Hanging out with Holly is mm-hmm. fucking, you know, a relic of the era. Uh, this this made perfect sense booking wise. Got you got to give you got to give Cody and uh, DiBiase their shot or t- to to be studs and be young and and uh, and jump out into it. So I, I have no problem with this. 
not much more to say. Uh, Cody, obviously, you know, son of a son of a plumber. Uh, yeah, uh, needs to kind of spread his wings and, and fly. So I, I perfect move here creatively. Todd Grisham is in a luxury seat with JBL. He's aggravated. He's not in a car to champions like this. Grisham reminds him he's not a champion. JBL says in a failing economy where people buy things they can't afford, he owns his own company. He's got a luxury penthouse in New York City. And with Vince incapacitated, he's now the richest person in WWE. And all that means is he's a champion of life. And maybe Mark Cuban can say that, but he looks around and sees no banners. Once he left Texas, champions stopped being champions. And there's only massive failures like the Cowboys, who choke as the NFC favorite to the city of champions, New York City. It's only a matter of time that he'll win gold again. And I thought this is a very good promo from JBL. Yes, I remember Dr. G rubbing my face in it when he said that uh, <laughs> that uh, JBL was a Giants fan. I'm like, he's not really a Giants fan. Please spare me. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> get a grip. But uh, yes, this was one year after the epic gack uh, in the playoffs. But um, uh, yeah, no, good promo. Good promo by JBL. JBL kind of found a, even though I kind of, you know, bagged the, the Cena match JR in the last episode, I have to say I do like the mm-hmm. the JBL kind of renaissance here in the last like year and a half, two years or so, you know, after kind of taking the dip. I kind of like it. We think, yeah, Marty. The little quip about uh, Vince, I actually wish they did a JBL tries to buy the WWE angle. I think that, <laughs> that would have been, been pretty cool. Yeah, that would have been great. I agree. All right. Our next match is... An interesting one, because we have a guy that just moved over to Raw, to the big time. And here he is, challenging for the Intercontinental title. And that's Kofi Kingston taking on Chris Jericho. Scott, what set this up? Well, uh, I don't think anyone knew this was coming. Uh, This is Kofi Kingston's pay-per-view debut. He's been on TV since uh, December uh, of 07 on ECW, and he was drafted to Raw in the supplemental draft prior to the show. Uh, this match was not announced prior to the show, so this was not on the uh, card to start. On the 6-2 Raw, uh, Jericho did an interview about trying to encourage Shawn Michaels during his stretcher match at One Night Stand, which, of course, JR, we talked about the last show. And he declared he would be defending the IC title more often as he dedicated his his match that night to Shawn Michaels. He would defeat JBL by DQ after JBL shoved the ref and Jericho teased hitting him with a chair only to walk away. On the 6-9 Raw, Jericho had Michaels on the highlight reel and mentioned that no matter how many times Michaels has lied to the fans, they always cheer him and he gets booed for speaking the truth. He would call Michaels a hypocrite and the two men would brawl until Jericho hit a low blow and then he would throw, he would tell Michaels uh, the worst was yet to come and he threw Mm -hmm. Michaels face first. Very fitting considering what Shawn Michaels did earlier in his career right into the Jeritron 5,000, 9,000, injuring Michaels' eye. You know how Shawn Michaels loves those kind of... uh, Mm-hmm. finagle injuries on the 616 raw jericho appeared on the highlight reel set with the destroyed jeritron behind him and he would be in a suit and he would say that the crowd was responsible for what he did to michaels the previous week so the heel turn is getting more and more full he would challenge michaels to come out only for rick flair to make his first appearance since that raw the night after mania and flair would challenge jericho to face him in the parking lot since he couldn't wrestle anymore the two would meet in the parking lot as jericho tried to walk away only to be comforted uh, comforted, confronted, <laughs> comforted, <laughs> confronted by Triple H, who said he wanted Jericho instead and Jericho would escape. On the 623 Raw, Jericho cut another promo on Michaels and showed highlights of all the times Michaels betrayed the, his partners. And he would continue to berate the fans for booing him because he spoke the truth and introduced Lance Cade, who appeared on the Titan Tron. 
They talked about Cade training under Michaels, and Cade said he would not let Michaels betray him if he had the chance. And Jericho talked about not having an opponent for the pay-per-view when Michaels made his return, and the two brawled until Michaels re-injured his eye when Jericho rammed him into the SmackDown announce table. So, typical great Shawn Michaels feud, very intricate, lots of storyline hooks and turns and twists. Yeah, Sally Marty is uh, one of the few pay-per-views in this year that doesn't have Sean Batista or Sean Jericho on it, which has been the best, some of the best stuff here. But yes, uh, this is an interesting match. Uh, Jericho's back on the rise, on his feet. Shaky start when he came back in late 07, but he is a big asset again now. He has quickly worked his way back up there, uh, up the card. Icy champion. Colin King talked about that vicious attack on Michaels and says Jericho's uh, out here just to save himself from... Uh, just saves himself from lying and cheating superstars. Jericho grabs a mic, says he's the record-holding eight-time Intercontinental Champion. He has to face a surprise opponent tonight. He's not sure who it is, but it won't be Shawn Michaels. That's when we see Lance Catering side. Like you said, it's Jericho's new bag boy. Jericho shows up every night, injured or not, personal events or not, and the fans don't deserve or appreciate all he gives up. Unlike the fans, he's an honest man, and he guarantees he will have vindication and save himself. It's great character stuff here from Jericho. Kofi storms out for his big title shot. Nice spot for him. Shows a lot of good faith as well. Cole reminds us that Kofi moved over in the supplemental draft. You get some dismissive Jericho early. They work through some holes. Jericho's doing some bully offense. Kofi uses his agility, try and turn the tide. It's a great cross body block. Uh, Jericho dumps him hard to the floor, takes over with an aggressive attack going on the back and the abdomen. Uh, Jericho is a backbreaker submission, but Kofi keeps trying to rally and fight through it. Kofi runs through some quick offense and fires at the crowd, but Jericho blocks a boom drop, twists into the walls. That was a cool spot. But Kofi blocks that and gets an inside cradle for two. Kofi brings the heat, keeps getting close, but Jericho kicks out, mows him down the clothesline. Hard punt to the ribs. Jericho follows a lion salt and now hits an old school bendy walls of Jericho in as Kofi really gets uh, bent backwards. Kofi hangs on until Shawn Michaels comes out. He wipes out Lance Cade. Jericho releases the hold and takes a swipe at Shawn, but then he falls hard and Jericho walks into a, a Thunder in Paradise for the big upset win. Trouble in Paradise. <laughs> I wish it was Thunder in Paradise. Shawn is all messed up and wobbly as trainers help him up. Jericho seeds and stalks and slugs Sean right in his fucked up eye, which is a great shot. Uh, really fun match. It was smooth. It was crisp into the finish. Jericho worked a pure pro match. Kofi kept right with him. It was a simple story. Both guys look good. And a nice way to have Sean pop up, continue their feud. You get the IC title off of Jericho because that feud doesn't really need it. So that was well done, too. And it helps grow Kofi. It makes him a star right away. I thought this is really smart booking up and down, Marty. I went three and a quarter on this one. Yeah, I went three and a quarter as well. Um, yeah, as you point out at the beginning, I was bummed that I am not getting any Shawn Michaels uh, 2008, which is probably his career year, uh, that or 1986. Uh, but I choose to look at the glass half full, and I didn't have to review an Edge Undertaker match. So there are positives to this. <laughs> That's true. Um, so as for the match, it's been a while since I've watched sort of that first run Jericho 96 till 2005 so i'm hope i'm not overreaching when i say this but to me i thought this was definitely very different i don't know if he could have this match in the first run thought he was more physical you brought up the word bully i use that word uh, i want to use that word too aggressive i don't think he really does that a lot in the late 90s early 2000s so i thought that was different thought he did a really good job establishing himself as a mountain for kofi to overcome I thought that he was really good ring general. I thought he was very mature. He was letting Kofi get a lot of hope spots. He was mm -hmm. timing the cutoffs well. So I thought he really laid out a great match. I'm not the world's biggest Kofi fan, uh, but 
I thought he wrestled babyface 101. This was white meat babyface. Really fun shine. You know, he had the leapfrogs, baseball slide, top rope splash. Good transition. He shoving him off the top rope. And then a lot of like those Ricky Steamboat like, you know, flash pinfalls towards the end. Uh, and then they they weave in the Shawn Michaels thing. I, the one the Shawn Michaels Chris Jericho feud is one of the best feuds of all time. The Lance Cade thing is just, you know, that's the one flaw. I mean, he was there just to be the guy mm. to take sweet chin music so the crowd would pop for sweet chin music. But I love that Jericho took the finish. It wasn't just a distraction roll up. He took Kofi's finish, got yes. pinned. Um, and then Jericho punches him in the eye. I, it was it was really it was actually now that I talked it through it, put me at three and a half. That was <laughs> that was some good shit. The punch to the eye was so good. Yeah. Scott, what did you think? Yeah, uh, no, I I love the I love the punch to the eye myself. That's just such a Jericho thing. Mm-hmm. And again, it's the Sean psychology. It's the it's the talking. That's that's what he does best. That's the kind of injury that he uh, that you know that that he does best. So um, that worked for me. I gave the match three stars. Uh, it's nice to see Kofi get a, uh, you know, get an opportunity here. 11 minute, uh, 11 minutes, your time. Uh, great move here. Kofi was the perfect guy to put in the spot and be the recipient of being in the middle of all this uh, Jericho, Sean drama. Um, they just work well together. You know, we hadn't seen them really work together since what? Oh, three. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Sean is just an, an awesome position in the company right now you know he's not overstepping his boundaries he's not you know sticking himself in feuds that he's not needed you know the year before in 07 he was only he only fought Cena mania because Triple H got hurt um other than that you really haven't seen Sean in any real like main event feuds or whatever he's kind of not getting involved in that stuff he's kind of filling the mid card and really putting on good good entertaining stories and entertaining matches because that's what Sean does best Sean understands, uh, you know, how to tell a story and, you know, eye injuries and all that kind of stuff. That's right in his wheelhouse. Concussions, all that kind of kooky injury stuff is right in Sean's wheelhouse. So it works perfectly. Uh, Jericho is, is is always a good heel and you could feel it coming. Uh, and, he, you know, he's starting to lose his mind. And it's not like, sad thing is he's not wrong. Sean lies to everybody and everybody cheers him and Jericho tells the truth and he gets booed. It's kind of like, it, I mean, it's like he's telling the truth. It's kind of like nobody believing Bobby that uh, Andre the Giant was the super yes. machine. You know, say like the giant machine. So it was like, it's always that kind of thing, you know. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great a great match. Congrats to Kofi. Fresh champion. Somebody different to, to see on the screen. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. All right, Cole and King plug our mobile poll once again. We then see Vicky Guerrero and Alicia backstage prepping for their wedding. Well, Edge preps with Hawkins to Ryder, but... It- his big title match tonight. Hawkins says it's too bad Triple H helped Batista Friday because maybe they could have worked together tonight. Edge ain't happy with that one. He runs down his resume and says he needs no help in his bout with Batista. That brings us to our women's title match as our champion Mickey James defends against Katie Lee Birchill. Scott, how did Katie Lee show up and get involved in this title match? Katie Lee Birchill. Uh, well, let's see. This is Katie Lee's uh, pay-per-view uh, debut. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has been on TV since February alongside her, quote, brother, Paul Birchill. Uh, they're obviously not related in real life. Uh, on the 6-2 Raw, Birchill and Beth Phoenix defeated James and Molina in a tag match when Birchill pinned James. Two weeks later on the 6-16 Raw, uh, the Birchills defeated James and Mr. Kennedy in a mixed tag when Katie again pinned James. And the following week on 6-23, the match was set. So not much backstory here, but just enough to have a match. 
All right, well, Mickey comes out with her woman's title, still on top, staring the ship. She's been great in this role since winning. Uh, Cole says Mickey's a big Cowboys fan, so there you go, Scott. Mm-hmm. Says she has an interesting challenger tonight, and that's Katie Lee out with her brother. Big push here, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Played some early mind games, but Mickey just pushes through, gets a flurry. Uh, Katie Lee regroups with her brother. King kind of hints about how weird and uncomfortable the Birchills are, but doesn't really say why. And we honestly don't really see it. It's like they're trying to will it <laughs> into existence. Uh, Mickey's all over. She comes back in. It's a nice seated drop kick. Katie Lee takes over outside. It's a nice back suplex and chokes away. Paul's kind of barking orders at her. Mickey comes back with some kicks, gets a hurricanrana. Katie Lee counters a DDT to a Fujiwara armbar. That was a pretty nice spot. Mickey tries to roll through. Katie Lee keeps cranking on it. Shoves Mickey to the corner. Mickey floats out of a back suplex and wins with the DDT. Uh, that's a pretty solid match. Katie Lee is a little out of sorts early, but kind of got in the groove once it got going. Mickey is so good out there. She keeps the pace, ensures nothing goes off track. Uh, this is a strong title defense. Uh, it's a well-worked story. It was a little bit higher level than most of the women's stuff because Katie Lee was able to structure the match around the arm and, and all that. So this felt like, again, we're enhancing the overall quality of the women's division by bringing women that can expand their offense. So I went two and three quarters, Scott. This was a fine match. Uh, and it's good to see Mickey mixing up different opponents, too. We're not just getting Mickey Beth every month. We're seeing different stuff month after month. So that's right. a good thing. Yes, I agree. Uh, your time was 7.17. So good little match here. Good time to work. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed this. I gave it, I gave it two and a half. It was solid. Uh, nothing spectacular, but I like Mickey as champion. Again, as I said at the last pay-per-view, I feel like Beth Phoenix is kind of the face of the division because she's so different compared to the rest of the the division. Um, I enjoyed it very much. And Mickey is a good champion. She's a great face. Uh, the fans dig her and, uh, she's got that weird Cena thing going on, which you talked about on the last show. But uh, this was a good match. Katie Lee's a good worker. Uh, I forgot about it when I watched this match today that she she could work in the ring. Um, I was reminded by the master of shit gimmicks, Matt Rotella, that the pirate gimmick was after this, not before this. Mm. Uh, for some reason, I thought the pirate was after this. Yeah, but, I did too, actually. Yeah, yeah I, I thought it was after this. But of course, the master of the, the you know the biggest <laughs> fan of crap, uh, of course, would remind me of that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I thought the match was good, Marty. Good, bad, you know, good back and forth. I like the way the the the, the girls worked. And uh, Mickey is a, is a great champion. She's a good babyface, just like Candice was the year before. But Beth Phoenix is looming. Yeah, I actually gave this a monster three and a half star rating. I really enjoyed this quite wow. a bit. Yeah, nice. yeah. I purposely did not read the card before going into the show, mm-hmm. so um, I was shocked when Katie Burchill came out. I remember. Uh, the whole Katie uh, Paul Birchill thing. But if you asked me before the show what year it took place, I would have been like right. somewhere in the 2000s. Um, so I was pretty surprised to see them uh, show up here. Uh, Stone Cold in his podcast always talks about you can learn predict a lot about how a match is going to go based on the initial lockup. Let's talk about that waist lock. That was a great waist lock by Mickey James on Katie Lee. And the way she, Katie Lee was scrambling, uh, it was really scrappy. It set the tone for a really heated match. Loved Mickey's shine. Up-tempo, fun. Monkey flip looked great. Uh, I thought the transition, he was a little funky. I think there was supposed to be something that caught the arm, but it didn't look like it actually happened. But then the following arm work looked great. Hammerlock, suplex. Uh, divorce court. It was Kaylee was on fire. The Fujiwara armbar, like you said, no, towards the finish. Uh, Mickey James uh, verbal selling was super good. 
Really mm-hmm. like the one-arm comebacks and then a really efficient finish with the Mickey uh, DDT. I mean, I've been listening to the shows. Uh, I didn't get a chance to listen to the last one yet. Uh, I loved Beth Phoenix. Melina, I got to give a shout out. I think that's one of the top 100 WWE matches of all time. But uh, point is, 2008 women's is like, you know, there's that narrative, right? That the women weren't good before, what, 2014? Right. Somewhere in that ballpark. But I think 2008 really shows you that there was women that could hang. Um, and just with a little bit uh, better promotion, uh, we would remember this as a golden era for the women and a little bit more time. But yeah, it's been solid. It's been, it, yeah. even in the era of like Kelly, like, you know, 07 ish or whatever, like even that was fine. Like they've they've been a pretty good. They haven't been a drag. I'll say that on the cards at all. Like they've they've held up their end of the bargain when given the time. So I'll be curious to see how that evolves, because, yeah, how do we get to that point where 1415 is started to be mentioned as like the Renaissance? So what happens at this 09 to 13 stretch? I guess we'll yeah. find out as we go. But uh, so that's that. All right. Mick Foley and JR catch us up. They reveal the mobile poll results. Batista got 32 percent of the boat. Uh, both got 31 percent and Cena 30 percent and neither seven. So uh, interesting poll there. Not Not learning much out of it. We then get a video package for our next match, which is yet again, Batista, the world heavyweight title mix, Scott against Edge. So how do we get Batista back in the title picture after a nice little break from it? Yes. Uh, well, on the 6-6 SmackDown, uh, La Familia held a celebration for Edge's win at One Night Stand and the end of The Undertaker's career. And Edge went on uh, to do a toast when the lights went out, only for Edge to reveal that it was a joke on his part. I remember that. That was pretty funny. He would then announce that Edge and Vicky's wedding would be on the 7-11 SmackDown. Uh, and they celebrated until Batista came out and demanded a title shot. And Vicky booked a match with Batista and three mystery partners against La Familia, where Batista wouldn't get a title shot if his team lost. Uh, Batista's partners would be revealed as <laughs> Colin Delaney. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that, putz. Uh, Funaki and Nunzio. Though they would win when Batista pinned Zack Ryder. On the 6-13 SmackDown, Vicky told Batista that he would get his title shot if he could defeat the great Kali. Though if he lost, he would be forced to leave WWE. At the end of the night, Batista would defeat Kali to earn his title shot while Edge and Vicky watched from the stage. On the 6-20 SmackDown, Batista faced Chavo in a match with Edge as the guest referee. And Vicky declared that if Batista touched Edge during the match, he would forfeit the title shot. Uh, Chavo would defeat Batista by countout when Edge gave him a fast count. La Familia would beat Batista down after the match with Edge giving Batista the spear. On the 623 Raw, Edge lost the match to John Cena by countdown. Batista attacked him afterwards. Then it was revealed that Batista had been drafted to Raw, much to Edge's delight. On the 627 SmackDown, Edge confronted new SmackDown worker, WWE champion Triple H, and offered to uh, him a chance to be friends, though Triple H claimed that Edge would lose his title to Batista, and Edge mocked Triple H for never beating Cena while he has beaten uh, Batista before. Edge would tell Triple H that SmackDown was his house when Batista came out and assaulted Edge before taking the world title and holding it up for Triple H uh, held up his title. Later that night, Batista defeated Umaga by DQ and La Familia came out and Edge got the belt back. But then Triple H would make the save as he and Batista laid out Hawkins and Ryder. And then prior to the match, WWE ran a poll, which you just mentioned. So here we are. Interesting move putting Triple H on SmackDown, too. I I think it was... I think it was a good move. And you know, we could talk about it, I guess, in a minute. But um, yeah. I think they definitely needed a couple changes. And Batista definitely needs to get off SmackDown. <laughs> He's just been here with title matches for like two and a half years now. So Pretty much, yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, we'll see if he can cash in as he heads back to Raw. Uh, he always feels like a contender. Uh, but again, how many times can you lose? So like it's believable he gets title matches, but also kind of like, all right. 
Uh, Edge continues to build power with Vicky in his corner. Like we said, Familia has been owning SmackDown. We get good entrances from both Edge's solo. A lot of stakes on the line. Edge tries to work a quick side headlock offense, but Batista just throws him off, uh, follows Edge around, barrels him into the railing, drags him aside, uses his power to control. Edge counters a whip and slips Batista to the apron, shoves him hard to the post to take over. Edge careens him, uh, careens into him and flies backward as Batista tries to get in the ring. So they're really putting over Batista's strength and power. And we have to remember, Jared reminds us, a count-out loss for Batista or for Edge would mean Batista is done with these opportunities. So it's not just a you know pin or submission. Batista forces his way back in the ring, uh, hits some heavy punches, but Edge goes to a rear chin lock after a neck breaker. He's hammering away. Pretty good insights from Foley, talking about Edge's skills versus his priorities in the ring. Uh, good snap, neck breaker by Edge. Goes to the chin locks. He's really working the neck and the head. Throughout this, Batista comes back. He throws Edge corner to corner, gets two on a sidewalk slam, gets two on a spear, gets uh, loads up a Batista bomb, but Edge floats out and gets an impaler. Batista comes right back again, uh, but Edge nails him as he comes off the top. Uh, Hawkins and Ryder wheel out Vicky. They get booed. Batista stays on point, gets a spine buster, but Vicky pops up and pulls out the ref. Edge sneaks up behind Batista, but Batista catches him and throws him into the post. Chavo comes out in a ref shirt, but before he gets there, Batista drags Vicky in the ring and press slams her into all of La Familia to a huge pop. That was a really cool moment. Edge and wobbles Batista with the belt, and Chavo slides in and counts the pin as Edge retains. Uh, Batista gets a nice ovation as it sinks in as SmackDown time is over. Uh, this was fun. I thought it was better than the past matches, which were really uh, clunky back in 07. This had a cleaner flow. There's a better chemistry. I like the neck work. I thought Batista was locked in until he got outnumbered. You get more heat on Familia. You get Batista to Raw out of these title matches. The Vicky bump was awesome. Uh, that was a nice payoff to her bullshit. And I, again, I think I think Batista is regaining that confidence and in-ring presence that he had been missing um, a little bit since the last Taker match. I think he's regained it with that Shawn Michaels stretcher match. So here felt different than his other matches with Edge. He felt more in control, more dominant, uh, more like a presence. So I ended up liking this way more than I expected too, Scott. I went three and a half, um, and I like the finish too. The Vicky spot was a really good one. Uh, I agree. Uh, I thought it was a fun match. Uh, Edge is – I mean, I, I say that Edge and Batista get burnt out in 07. Their matches felt a little underwhelming. But I actually like this one. 18-13 – uh, mm-hmm. your time. Uh, I gave it three and a half, which I thought was way too high for when I started watching it. But I don't know this, this story, this match did not seem as tiresome as the ones they had the year earlier in 07 where I don't know why, maybe it's cause it was, you know, it's fresh and edge has been facing taker so much that it's a change of pace. But this, this match didn't bother me as much as the ones they had in 07 did. Uh, and, and like I mentioned on our last show, uh, I just love Batista. I mean, he's he's locked in these last three years. He's shown he's a stud. He's getting the psychology down. That's that's you know that's hanging with Flair. Um, yeah, I, I I think Edge has been a great face of SmackDown. Although that is kind of messing the apple cart. Uh, bringing in Triple H, I think that's you know mm-hmm. pretty funny how they're there together. So that's kind of interesting. Um, because Edge and, and Triple H really have never had any kind of interaction. So believe it or not, for even for 2008, it's very fresh because <laughs> they don't really they never really interacted much, you know, even during the, the throes of the Attitude Era. Um, but he he's clearly established himself as a player 
and a main event guy that can be relied upon uh, when in the right circumstances to come up with a great match, Marty. So I thought the match maybe was a scoosh long, but not that bad. Uh, again, I enjoyed it. Edge is a great champion, and Batista is just Batista. Back on SmackDown, banging out title shots, but even when he doesn't win, he still puts on a show. Yeah, I agree that's over-delivered. I didn't have the misfortune of watching those 2007 matches, but um, I'm pretty lukewarm on Batista in general. I don't really have a strong opinion. Um, I'm pretty well-known as hating Edge, so I was not expecting too much, but I agree with both of you. This was a I went with three and a half stars myself. Um, JT brought up a good point. I really did think Batista carried this. Uh, I thought the shine came off really great. I thought the jackhammer was a strong uh, climax on mm-hmm. uh, there. Uh, and then in the heat segment, I love that Batista was always moving forward. He never died. He was uh, always punching, making Edge work for making Edge cut him off. Really good use right. of the drop toe hold there. Uh, JR called the match really well. Uh, the parts I liked were uh, talking about how Edge used inanimate objects, the environment, the ring post, uh, now it's table, uh, buckles, to inflict his offense. And I thought that was a really good point, and it really showed that Edge is not as good of a wrestler as Batista. He has to use his environment, which is good heel wrestling. Heels mm-hmm. should not be as good as baby faces. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, Edge did use two chin locks. Uh, so I, I do think Edge kind of ran out of ideas. <laughs> uh, so I, I was a little disappointed there. And I was also disappointed on the clothesline uh, that Batista used to go into uh, the finish run. I thought they could have come up with something a little bit more inventive there. Um, I thought the finish run was really good. Like, okay, let's string our signature spots together. But they didn't do it in a way that was my turn, your turn, which I really appreciate. Um, I thought they they did it tastefully. I thought the ending was good, as JT pointed out. Really, what got bumped this up to that three and a half was I'm usually generally against baby faces uh, touching uh, female heels, but when you're chucking Vicky Guerrero <laughs> over the top <laughs> yeah. rope onto a bunch uh. of dudes, we'll make an exception for that. That was pretty badass. Mm. Uh, the one thing I didn't like about the ending was Edge uh, knocking out the ref on purpose only mm. for Vicky to bring out Chavo. I think there's a smarter way to to do that ref bump and get Chavo out there because if Edge decks the ref, as the commentators correctly pointed out, it seemed like he was trying to get intentionally disqualified, but then why is Vicky asking for a new ref? So I think you can get to Chavo being that uh, douchey ref uh, to, in a better way but overall yeah i was really surprised uh, i thought batista was really great and even edge i i thought edge wrestled this about as well as edge could wrestle so yeah three and a half all right todd grisham catches up with hunter helmsley triple h who says he's just gonna do what he should have done two years ago that brings us to a video package for our main event
right. It is a big-time main event as Triple H is defending his WWE title against John Cena. Scott, how do we get to this one? Well, of course, uh, as uh, Triple H mentioned, the match they had at uh, WrestleMania 22. Uh, So, of course, as we know, uh, Triple H went to SmackDown. Uh, Let me just get back here. There we go. In the 6-2 Raw, Triple H came out and discussed his match with Orton the night before and said he didn't care who the next challenger would be. And then Cena would come out and challenge him only for Jeff Hardy to come out and challenge him as well. Hardy would challenge Cena to a match where the winner would earn the title shot, and Cena accepted. And in the main event, Cena defeated Hardy to become number one contender, and he had a stare down with Triple H as the show ended. The following week on 6-9, Cena and Triple H had a confrontation backstage, and later that night, Cena defeated JBL while Triple H did commentary, and they had a stare down at the table until Triple H tripped Cena up. At the end of the night, Hardy defeated Triple H by countout thanks to Cena, and the two had another stare down until Hardy hit a slingshot plancha onto both men. So Jeff Hardy, of course, kind of getting, you know, rejuvenated as well, getting back in his main event picture as part of this. On the 616 Raw, the two had another confrontation as they brought up their previous match at WrestleMania 22 and nearly came to blows until Vince McMahon broke it up and said both men would compete that night. Cena would defeat Umaga in a street fight. Triple H would defeat Chris Jericho by DQ and Lance Cade got involved and Cena came out and brawled with Triple H until Jericho and Cade laid both of them out. And finally, on the 623 Raw, the two men had another confrontation backstage with Cena reminding Triple H that he had never beaten him, and later that night, Triple H would be drafted to SmackDown as a result of Edge winning the tri-branded Battle Royal, meaning both world titles would be on SmackDown for the time being. All right. Big time in event. Like I said, they last crossed paths uh, been a while. WrestleMania 22, and they weave that story in here too, which is really cool. Interesting use to cap off this random show. It's a good selling point. I remember even at the time, it felt like a big time match on this show. Uh, usual mixed reaction for Cena, but very loud. A good pop for Triple H, who's been great since his return. I mean, you got to give it to him. He's been really good uh, since he's gotten back in the mix at No Mercy. Uh, working some really good matches. He doesn't feel like he's overshadowing the rest of the card, even as champion. Cole puts this over as a classic as we gear up, and uh, it's important to Raw. Cena needs to win this belt to get some gold over to Raw. We get some feeling out to start. Some lockups, some control holds. Uh, Triple H and Cena both just trading bombs back and forth. You see it picking up the pace a little bit, gets a fisherman suplex for two, but misses a flying shoulder block and falls to the floor. Hunter goes in on the back. Cena comes back and loads up the five knuckle shuffle, but Hunter kicks him away and lands a nice high knee and then a face breaker. Cena recovers. It gets a blockbuster, goes up top and it's a leg drop, but Hunter kicks away from the STFU. Cena maintains control with a spinning slam, but he takes too long setting up the five knuckle shuffle again and eats another knee lift. I thought Hunter's been really good at countering the big moves here. I could tell he did some homework. Hits a spine buster, but Cena counters a pedigree, sends Hunter flying across the ring, up and over the top turnbuckle and hard to the floor. Hunter grabs his knees, writhing in pain. Cole reminds us of Hunter's past leg problems. Cena follows out, goes right at the knee, drops it on the steps, shoves Hunter back inside, keeps him grounded, tries to get that STFU, but he can't do it. And... Uh, once he does, Hunter, again, keeps pushing toward the rope. Again, nice sequence to put the move over as Hunter looks like he's trying to avoid near death every time he gets near it. Cena loads the FU, but Hunter floats over and gets a pedigree, but he can't cover right away because of his knee, so Cena kicks out. Hunter slowly pulls Cena up, but Cena flips him to the FU and gets two. 
Both guys are up slow. We get a big back and forth slugfest. Both guys are on weak knees and weak legs. The crowd is rocking. Cena breaks the battle with a spinning slam. Finally hits that five knuckle shuffle. Hunter blocks an FU. He grabs the ropes, loads the pedigree, but Cena drops down and twists the champ into the SDFU. Hunter scraps and hangs on and grabs the ropes, but Cena drags him to the middle of the ring and goes back to it. But this time, Hunter counters out of the hold into a cross face in a very slick looking spot. Cena powers out of the hold and deadlifts Hunter into the FU, but Hunter elbows free and hits the pedigree to win the match clean and a very good, great, actually, finishing sequence. Cena walks off with his arm hanging. King wonders if he tore the peck again. I was really damn good. A lot of big power spots and transitions. They kept it tight and paced, not super drawn out, not a big fuck fest like you get sometimes with Hunter and these guys. It was just two dudes rocking each other, big blows and power spots. Both looked good. The finish was well-earned. The power stuff was crisp and raw finishes the night with no world champion. So we'll see how we get there. Hunter rolls on a deserved reign for sure. Scott three and three quarters for me. Uh, three, three quarters for me as well. Uh, your match time was 1939. Uh, I'm going to argue, and I'm actually going to go back to, uh, uh, I guess we can't look back. I got to look back on our, our previous grades, but I'll argue that I think this match is better than the match at WrestleMania 22. Uh, I think maybe Cena's experience told the story better. Mm. Uh, I kind of like the babyface, babyface thing here. It actually adds the drama because there's no like snarkiness and any bullshit and everything. It's just two great guys battling back and forth, working their asses off. And I appreciated that. And um, it made for a big fight atmosphere. It really did. Mm-hmm. I was I was very, very pleased with the uh, – uh, the tone that this match took uh, like it was comfortable for them to ha- finally have their rematch after what little over two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still feel like a big match feel like they didn't have to, Oh, we got to preserve this for the, you know, they just did it. And I, I, I applaud that. I thought that was, that was really cool that we didn't have to come up with some fucking half ass match. Fuck it. Just put them in there and let them go blow bat shit. And I was very, very, um, I was very excited about that. I enjoyed that a lot. And I thought it was a great match, Marty. Uh, I think Triple H is a good... I agree with JR on this. It's okay to have Triple H at the top of the card when he's not hoarding it. He's just kind of staying in his lane, doing his business, and let the rest of the stuff, you know, do itself. And I, I applaud that. And I think that led to... It's leading to good matches, to good creative freedom, and... uh uh, and a good main event, a great main event. Yeah, I'm shocked that I am the high vote on a Triple H match. I am going four stars. I can already see Chad uh, typing the Stardust <laughs> message to me right now. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, like you guys were saying, I, I generally really like babyface versus babyface matches. I think there's a lot of interesting ways you can go in a face versus face match. There's a lot of great symmetry here. Uh, it was Clash of the Titan style. I thought they really worked um, all their greatest hits in together in a really uh, interesting way, I, as um, JT was bringing up with all the different scouting. Um, so I, I think probably where I would begin is I think it's really interesting as I go back and occasionally watch these Cena matches, how much he doesn't like doing a long shine. Uh, pretty much it was just the Fisherman suplex. Mm-hmm. Um 
And that's, I always kind of put that in the Jerry Lawler camp. Jerry Lawler was, you know, Lance Russell always talk about him being the slow starter and then doing the comeback. Uh, but John Cena also loves the extended comeback. So I always often talk about how John Cena uh, is like the love child of Jerry Lawler and Mitsuharu Misawa. <laughs> so, and I thought this was a very all Japan style match, which is probably why I enjoyed it so much. Uh, with the uh, a lot of the big bombs, a lot of the scouting, a lot of the stuff you would see in a, a 90s All-Japan match. And I think, really, in a lot of ways, 21st century American wrestling is just a hybrid of a bunch of Japanese styles that got imported um, through the independence and like Benoit and all that. But anyways, that's a whole different tangent to this match. I thought there was a section in this match that was a five-star stretch. Like, it was incredible. Uh, so Triple H takes the Harley race bump that he usually takes when Cena hurls him off that pedigree. At this point, Cena had tried an STFU, Triple H tried a pedigree, so there's symmetry in how they're trying to end this really quickly. And what was interesting about this is Cena, I've watched so much Cena, Cena loves working from underneath and he very rarely works on top. We finally get to see Cena work on top and he's working that knee and he's you know doing chop blocks, knee crushers, uh, wrapping around the post. And what I really loved was the struggle in the STFU. And one thing that bothers me a lot about wrestling is like people will put on the hold and then there's all this struggle to get out of the hold. Like that's kind of, like to me, it's like you should either tap or you should get the ropes. There's not like a lot. But if you struggle in applying the hold, that shows how important it is not to get into that hold. And God, Triple H did an amazing job. One of his absolute best performances was in him trying his his damn just not to get in that hole and he didn't and so cena switched gears to the fu and triple h is able to flash in the pedigree but he lands on the injured knee and so he couldn't cover and i was like this is incredible i honestly was like just end the match here i was like yeah this was amazing uh so i really enjoyed that stretch um i thought the finished stretch was like just a little too much i thought they could be a little bit more efficient i was mm. really disappointed um so in the vein of symmetry, so Triple H had hit the pedigree, so you knew the Cena FU was coming, and they just did the A count, and then Cena hits the FU. I'm like, ah, just bridge to that. Where Where's that bridge? And they just were missing that. They kind of just wanted to get to that symmetry piece because throughout the match, that's what they were doing. They were doing everything was one person would do something, the other person would do it, but they were doing it very organically. It wasn't my turn, your turn. They were coming up with interesting ways to do that. Uh, one other thing that I really enjoy, which I thought they might not pay off because Cena hit the FU was on the third attempt he finally did get the five knuckles shuffle and he yes. they did it really smartly out of a strike exchange that's better than any new Japan strike exchange from the 2010s like that was a really friggin strong strike exchange by both of them Cena was selling really good both guys throwing big bombs and yes and I really enjoyed the STFU transition when he finally got it on was real slick out of the pedigree um, the cross face was good. And then you get the Hulk up into the FU, counter into the pedigree. I mean, it really was a really strong match. So kudos to both guys. I think the pay-per-view lives and dies by this match. And uh, this this really sends the sets you sends you home happy that you watched a, a really good match here. All right. Sums it all up pretty well. So let's get to our awards. Uh, match of the night. I'm sorry. Our MVP of the night is up first. I ended up going with Batista. Like, I thought he looked like a star. I wanted to almost give him, like, comeback credit, too, because I feel like a year ago this match goes differently. But the the confidence he's regained and his presence in the ring, throwing Vicky, like, he just felt like I, – I thought he felt like the biggest star on the show. 
Uh, I guess after my Cena Triple H, it's got to be one of the two. I'm going to just go Cena just because I like Cena just a little bit more. I thought I, I enjoyed I enjoyed Cena's work just a tad more than Triple H, but it's really a tie in my opinion. I, I got, I'll go with Batista here. I mean, he made that match better than they used to, and, what they did a year ago, and I, I just he, he's a star, right? He's a stud. LVP, I'm with Holly. He, he looked like a jobber and a bum in that match, so that's fine by me. I mean, Chavo yeah, is a candidate, I, I guess. Uh, but other than that, yeah, Holly's fine. All right, best match. Sounds like we're all in agreement here, too. Cena, Triple H. Yeah. All right. Worst yes. match, I went with the Rhodes, Holly, Yossi thing. Oh, yes. that counts as a match, then, yeah. Uh, best moment, I went with the Michaels Jericho post match with the punch in the eye. <laughs> like, that was all pretty good. Yep, definitely. Yeah, like it. Yep, I agree. All right, surprise of the night was Rhodes uh, joining DiBiase. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's much else, right? Yep. All right, oh, rare, pretty much almost full agreement on the awards. Uh, all right, final grade. I feel this is just a step slightly behind uh, last show, but still pretty good. I think it's in line with like Judgment Day we talked about. Uh, a little bit above maybe backlash, but we've been in that consistent six to seven range uh, pretty much all year. So I went six and a half on this one. Uh, I'm going to go the other way. Uh, I gave last month's show a seven. And I thought this was a little better. So I'm going to give this seven and a half. Uh, I like the top to bottom. I know I graded low the the match itself with Cody, but the, the turn was worked. I like both title matches. I like Kofi getting a big, getting his big moment, you know, at the expense of the Sean Jericho feud, which is fine with me. Um, yeah, I thought this was a better show than One Night Stand, so seven and a half. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I thought this was a very steady show. There was nothing bad per se. The main event is what definitely makes it above average. But I, I think I would agree with JT. This seems like a six and a half to me. All right. Marty, hope you avoid your maiden voyage here on the mothership. It was great to have you. Talk to you as always. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Scott will be back in a couple weeks. We'll be talking Great American Bash 2008 with another first time guest. So that's exciting. Keep yes. that train rolling. Uh, we'll get into that. And uh, we'll keep moving towards SummerSlam coming up soon as well. So yes. everyone, take care. We'll talk to you in two weeks. I'm taking a